will regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm glad that you've joined us on the program today. We've got a busy one for you. We've got a lot to talk about. Coming up here in a matter of moments, Sean Maloney's going to join us from Buckeye Firearms Association. And we're going to talk about a story that I've been writing about every day so far this week at Bearing Arms. That is the death of Casey Goodson Jr., a 23-year-old concealed carry holder from Columbus, Ohio, who was shot and killed by a Franklin County Sheriff's deputy on Friday. There are a lot of disputes about what actually led to that shooting. The deputy and other law enforcement say that as they were conducting a warrant search there in uh, the neighborhood where Casey Goodson Jr. lived with his grandmother and several other family members, that Goodson drove by officers waving a gun out the window of his vehicle. A deputy then got in his vehicle, pursued Goodson just a short distance. Goodson pulls into the driveway of his grandmother's home. The deputy says Goodson got out, gun in hand, refused to drop the weapon, and that's when the deputy opened fire. The family tells a very different story. They say that Goodson was on his way home from a dentist appointment, that he had stopped off at a Subway restaurant to pick up a sandwich, and that as he exited his car, he had the bag with the sandwich in one hand, he had the keys to the house in the other hand, and he was shot three times in the back by a sheriff's deputy. This uh, case is now being looked at by the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, as well as the FBI's Cincinnati Field Office, after the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation and Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost refused to investigate this case because Columbus Police Department waited three days for them to ask the BCI to conduct the investigation. At that point, the attorney general said, look, the initial uh, witnesses had already been interviewed. The crime scene's obviously now, you know, three days compromised. Uh, The canvassing of the area had already taken place. So, no, it was too late to ask us three days after this occurred to step in and lead this investigation. Will we get any answers? Will we actually know what happened? Well, the Buckeye Farms Association is among those groups that are speaking out. There are expected to be protests in Columbus on Friday and Saturday in support of justice for Casey Goodson and his family. And join us to talk about this case right now, Sean Maloney with the Buckeye Farms Association. Hey, Sean, thank you so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's always good talking with you. Well, it's always great talking to you, Cam. I got to tell you, I mean, this case, I'm so glad to see that uh, Chad Bass uh, at Buckeye Firearms and and the entire association is uh, paying attention to the uh, case of Casey Goodson Jr. I've been writing about this. I think I've written a story every day this week uh, about the shooting that took place on Friday because, you know, as you all say, we don't know all of the facts yet. But what we do know is really troubling because the the difference in the disparity between the the accounts of the deputy who shot Casey Goodson Jr., and, and Casey's family members. I mean, there's just this enormous gulf. One of those stories can't be true, Sean. Well, you know, you're exactly right. And that's why uh, we need to take a deep breath and make sure we have a good in-depth investigation because, uh, you know, facts never change, but perception of them does from time to time. And an investigation needs to be done. And I'm happy that, that they, they seek help from uh, uh, Department of Justice and from the FBI because, at this point in America, we need to make sure uh, whenever we use a life, uh, lose a life because of a uh, of lethal force and police that it's done properly. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, again, you know, you just look at the facts of this case. Casey Goodson Jr. is a licensed concealed carry holder. Uh, he was on his way home from the dentist. He, you know, stopped off at Subway according to his family, 
And his family says, look, Casey's not the type of guy who would do what law enforcement alleged that he did, which was wave a gun at cops as he was driving by them. They said, you know, he was a responsible gun owner. He was very, very cognizant of gun safety. This just seems so out of character for him. Um, but we don't have any body camera footage there. You know, the, the Franklin County Sheriff's Office does not have body cameras for their deputies. So the deputy wasn't wearing a body camera. Uh, there's no dash cam footage to show investigators what actually happened. And I want to get your thoughts on the uh, Attorney General Dave Yost in, in Ohio um, saying, no, we're not going to leave this investigation because the city of Columbus waited three days after the shooting to ask us to get involved. Uh, and at that point, all of the initial witness interviews have been conducted. The crime scenes, obviously, or the, 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 the site of uh, Casey's death, anyway, uh, uh -huh. has already been compromised. It was too late for us to get involved. They should have asked us the day that this happened rather than waiting three days afterwards. Well, and traditionally, Cam, the, the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, Ohio's Bureau, uh, they, they're, they're the best there are really in Ohio. And in all other cases, they're called immediately when something like this happens. So I don't know where the disconnect uh, came there, but, you know, evidence disappears, unfortunately. And, uh, and so I can understand uh, the Attorney General's point and concern. And, uh, and I think at this point in time, anyhow, it's better. If it's purely independent for, for people's view that uh, independent uh, FBI investigation, Department of Justice uh, investigation be done. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if either side's going to believe much of anything but a, a purely independent investigation. Yeah, and no, I, I think you're right. It, especially at this point in time. I, I mean, I, you're right. Yeah. As, as a concealed carry holder, that's so out of character for somebody that, that carries a firearm. So it, because I'm a concealed carry holder and there's over 600,000 of us from the state of Ohio with our concealed carry holders, plus all the rest of the property. We need to make sure that, uh, that, that this is looked into and, and things are taken care of properly. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I do think it's important for people to keep an open mind in both directions. You know, the evidence could conclude that, uh, that the uh, shooting was justified. Uh, the evidence could conclude that the shooting was absolutely not justified. We don't know uh, where this evidence is going to take us yet. But again, there is legitimate cause for concern based on uh, the, the incomplete set of facts that we have available to us at the moment. Now, I know that there are going to be a, a, a protest taking place Friday and Saturday uh, in Columbus uh, outside of the Franklin County Courthouse, I believe, on Friday. Um, what, what, kind of, what kind of reaction, what kind of participation do you expect from the Second Amendment community in Ohio? Is this a story that that, that gun owners and Second Amendment supporters are aware of there in the Buckeye State? Well, certainly Buckeye Farms Association, we try to make everybody aware of it. Uh, and, and obviously you're trying to do the same thing. And I think probably uh, the large percentage uh, of the gun, gun advocate community out there is aware of what's going on because it impacts us all. Uh, I mean, it could be any one of us with a concealed carry permit holder and, and a firearm uh, that's involved in any kind of situation. And, and because we don't know, because two sides of the story are so different, you know, I, I'm hopeful that uh, the protest stays civil in nature and we don't cloud uh, the death with, with further violence. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, that is worth pointing out because I believe that uh, I think there's a, a Columbus police sergeant who said we're already getting threats, uh, you know, based on the reporting that's come out about uh, the investigation. And that doesn't that, look that doesn't help anybody. It's certainly not going to help bring. Uh, justice to Casey Goodson Jr. and his family. Uh, what we need, as you say right now, is we need some calm. Uh, we need as much 
you know, I'd say civility as possible, but I understand that emotions are high here. Uh, but what we really need are answers. And, right. you know, a- anything that distracts from the search for justice, uh, I-, I think is going to be, again, it's harmful not only to the cause, but I think it uh, it goes against the wishes of the, the Goodson family, who, uh, again, they want to know what happened to their son, to their brother, to their grandson. Uh, and-, and that's where the focus really needs to uh, to remain. Um, now, while I've got you here, Sean, I want to uh, ask you about uh, a couple of legislative issues, because... I know that Governor Mike DeWine, he is still pushing for passage of his uh, Ohio Strong legislation. Uh, And it looks like maybe some standalone pieces uh, in terms of, uh, you know, upping the penalties for committing a crime with a firearm. Looks like maybe that's going to get a a vote in the legislature. But at the same time, we're also seeing a a really some some really good legislation uh, that would expand the right of self-defense, a legislation that would codify uh, the fact that school districts in the state of Ohio can have armed school staff. I mean, there are a number of pro-gun bills that are making their way through the legislature right now. Can you give us a quick update on some of them? Sure, I, I'd love to. And, and, and as strange as 2020 has been, the 2020 Ohio legislature, legislature is even stranger. Uh, what just happened earlier in the week was COVID started running rampant at the state house, and so all the committee hearings and the committee meetings that were set up to get this stuff pushed through lame duck. You know, they've been pushed off now, I guess, and they're going to be rescheduled next week. So there's things that need to be done, some things that I, I was hopeful would be done ahead of time, and w- one of which was uh, the Madison bill, so to speak, to make sure that uh, we clearly codify the people that are confused that teachers have a right to, to be armed to protect their kids. I've been interpreting the, uh, uh, the Ohio Vice Code for probably close to seven or eight years now the same way that the common police judge did. And that Judge Powell did at the Court of Appeals. Uh, and and I, I was shocked, and so did many other attorneys uh, think that it was being enforced right. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that teachers need, you know, 700 hours of training. They don't need to know how to handcuff. They don't need to know how to high-speed chase. They don't need to know how to, how to serve warrants. They, yeah. they need to know how to protect their kids. And for folks who so, aren't aware of this case, let me just back up for just a second. So Madison Independent School District in Ohio, they, they've had an armed school staff program in place for a number of years, but a couple of parents, uh, along with every town for gun safety and every town's law firm, sued the school district saying that, no, 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 teachers, is not enough for them to go through the faster training. It's not enough for them to have, you know, the, this multi-day training course. Um, what they need, as you pointed out, they need the same exact training that every police officer receives uh, in the state of Ohio before they can lawfully carry a gun in school to save lives. And the uh, uh, first judge who heard this case disagreed, but an appellate judge actually sided with every town, sided with these parents and said, yeah, that's exactly what has to happen before these uh, uh, school staff can be armed on campus. Now that case is before the Ohio State Supreme Court, uh, but lawmakers, again, they want to make it crystal clear that no, 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 school staff and the school districts, they can make these decisions for themselves. You're correct, and and I, and I know they're they're trying to push us to get it done. I would rather have the legislature take care of it before the the Supreme Court opinion uh, comes out on on something like this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was frankly it was going to be a race, but I talked to some lobbyists this morning and and some people in leadership, and and they're still pushing that to make sure that gets done. Because you're right, basically what was happening: town hall meetings were occurring that that got some public notice, and all of a sudden Mike Bloomberg and and every town showed up brought some attorneys from out of town and decided that they were going to essentially force their will 
on the Ohio School District in rural Butler County. And they had made this decision uh, years before that. It had been debated. They had been public hearings. And it was something that was decided to do. And all of a sudden, Mike Bloomberg, of course, who knows who knows what's best for everybody, came in and filed a lawsuit. And it was a two to three split on, at the Ohio 12th District Court of Appeals. I used to be a staff attorney there years ago. I know all those judges. So I was surprised. Uh, Judge Powell got it right. Uh, he wrote the dissent, you know, right on the head. And, I, and I'm confident that, um, based on my understanding of the two competing statutes in the Ohio Revised Code, that that Madison School District will prevail. But you know, instead of instead of relying on a, a judge panel, I, I would just get the legislature who's behind this 100% to pass a piece of legislation, clarify that you know we're going to protect our kids with armed teachers or armed staff. Absolutely. Uh, and now, what about the uh, the Castle Doctrine bill, um, the, the bill that would expand stage of ground? Uh, obviously, that too has probably been caught up in the. Uh, coronavirus delays, but uh, is that still on track, legislatively speaking? Yeah, and there's, there's actually a race between the House and the Senate <laughs> to, to get this thing done. Uh, the, the version that the Senate has was a version that, that Ron Lemieux and I drafted two years ago and we had it passed, and then it was stripped out of a bill uh, when when uh, Kasich was threatening to veto because it, that would have made the bill that we had not veto-proof. Um, so that's so now the race to do that, and I'm starting to hear rumblings, and I'm getting phone calls this morning asking me what I think about the fix Nick uh, portion of uh, of the Ohio Strong Bill, and then the enhanced penalties, which I don't agree with. I have a feeling that uh, they're either going to try to appease Mike DeWine or or make somebody happy, and they're going to try to amend uh, either uh, removing the duty to retreat with those two provisions, uh, or even the, the Madison Bill. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll let you know what what comes forward, and then duty to promptly inform police if you're a concealed carry holder and you have the significant police contact is also up. This bill has been, I've testified at least five times in three years on this, and I don't know what the holdup is. Essentially, in the state of Ohio, whenever you're pulled over for a traffic stop or have a meaningful contact with the police and you're a concealed carry holder, that you have, the code says you have to promptly inform the police officer. The problem is, is everybody has a definition of what promptly means. And all we want to make sure that if you're a concealed carry holder, there's a bright line that you know when you're supposed to inform the police officer. And and, and essentially, that's what this uh, clears up. It's not really that controversial, so I'm not I'm not sure why you know it's taken us three years to get this done. But uh, but hopefully uh, that'll that'll get taken care of also. Uh, and on top of everything else, racing to the finish lane, dog. Now we have COVID-19 uh, shutting the state house down. So. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll definitely keep folks informed uh, on, on those legislative issues, uh, and then of course any developments uh, in the investigation into the death of Casey Goodson Jr. Uh, Sean Maloney with Buckeye Farms Association. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate Sean joining us, and uh, we will have more coverage at Bering Arms throughout the weekend and uh, next week on the Casey Goodson Jr. case. Uh, now, normally, you know, we do our uh, a good deed of the day. We have a recidivist report. We have an armed citizen story for you. We do have an armed citizen story for you today, but I've got a couple other stories that I've been reporting on at Bearing Arms that I, I want to highlight here. So we'll get back tomorrow to our uh, regularly scheduled segments here. But but in, in the meantime, let's take a look at just a couple of other stories that really are worth spending a couple of minutes talking about. First, uh, I reported this morning that uh, Senator Chuck Schumer allegedly embedded, well, not even allegedly, he did. We know this. Schumer embedded 
the chief of public affairs for every town for gun safety and moms demand action in the Senate Judiciary Committee during the hearings, the confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. This was revealed by Jane Meyer in a uh, New Yorker story that is focused on uh, the uh, mental deterioration of Senator Dianne Feinstein. And sort of buried in this story uh, is the fact that Senator Schumer was so concerned about Dianne Feinstein's mental faculties that before the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing, Senator Schumer appointed a, a former staffer from his office who had moved on to Everytown, a guy named Max Young, to serve as his eyes and ears on the Senate Judiciary Committee and to lead the strategy and communications for Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee in the hopes of derailing Kavanaugh's nomination and Barrett's nomination when, uh, when she was nominated as well. Obviously, that didn't happen. I don't know how good a job Max Young did, but the very fact that Chuck Schumer just sort of slipped onto the uh, Democratic staff of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the chief of public affairs for every town of Moms Demand Action, without the media acknowledging this, is outrageous. Uh, as I reported, Politico was the only press outlet at the time to report that Max Young had been named part of the Democratic Council staff there on the Senate Judiciary Committee. But they didn't identify him as an Everytown staffer. They simply identified him and referred to him as a former staffer for Chuck Schumer, neglecting to tell the public what his day job was. Did Politico not know what Max Young does for a living? It's right there in his Twitter bio. Did they think, well, you know, maybe that's just not really important to the story. Or did they think, if we report this, then all of a sudden that's the story, as opposed to Amy Coney Barrett's judicial philosophy or things of that nature. I truly believe that the press kept this quiet because they did not want to distract from the attacks on Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. And that's why we're just now learning about this. Now, think about this for a second. Imagine just for a moment what the media reaction would be if Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said, you know, uh, I'm a little worried about uh, Chuck Grassley. You know, he's getting up there in age. He's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, we're going to bring in the, uh, the NRA's chief of public affairs just for a few weeks, just during the confirmation hearings. We're going we're gonna to make that uh, chief of public affairs uh, part of our staff on the Senate Judiciary Committee just to report back to me. Let me know what's going on. He can manage the communications. He can manage the strategy. But I want him to be my eyes and ears there on the committee and play an active role in the confirmation hearings. Behind the scenes, for sure, but an active role in the confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. What do you think the press would have done with that information? <laughs> you know exactly what they would have done. Oh, Mitch McConnell's in the back pocket of the gun lobby. Oh, look at this unholy matrimony between the gun lobby and Senate Republicans. They would have had a field day with this. And they would have reported on this. Look, CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times. You name the left-leaning press outlet and they would have run with this story. That would have been their big story. And they ignored it when the script was flipped. When it was a Democrat embedding a gun control activist onto the staff of the Senate Judiciary Committee in an attempt to derail the nominations of Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the horse is out of the barn. Chuck Schumer's not going to apologize for this. In fact, again, I think the media is going to ignore this. They're going to focus entirely on 
you know, the Diane Feinstein angle, which is the big angle of Jane Meyer's story in The New Yorker, but they're going to ignore the fact that Chuck Schumer's embedding gun control activists onto these committees because they don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you something else that uh, they don't really want to talk about. We're talking about it at Bearing Arms. Joe Biden, pressured by gun control groups to create a cabinet-adjacent position on gun control. Yeah. So they, they you know, if you, ha- if, you, if you declared, like, we're going to have a secretary of gun control, well, that would have to get congressional approval. So instead, what March for Our Lives, uh, Everytown, Giffords, Brady, what they want is for Biden to appoint a, quote, cabinet-adjacent position, basically a gun control czar to oversee his administrative efforts to go after our right to keep and bear arms. Wonder who's on the short list for that. You think maybe, uh, I don't know, Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke, the guy that Biden said on the campaign trail, you're going to be my appointment on gun control. Now, according to the website Fast Company, March for Our Lives has been in communication with the Biden transition team. They've expressed their demands to have this uh, national director of gun violence policy. They also want a national director of youth engagement uh, who will go out and convince young Americans to give up their right to keep and bear arms, to turn their backs on their God-given right to defend themselves. Again, I don't think the media is going to pay much attention to this, but I do expect that Joe Biden will give gun control advocates what they want. Again, on the campaign trail, he's already indicated he wants to have somebody running point for his anti-gun agenda. He, he, and he, he basically offered the job to Beto O'Rourke. It's yours if you want it. So there's no real downside for Biden, at least within his own base, by acceding to the gun control activist demands. Um, and again, it's another sign that Joe Biden... who ran as the most anti-gun presidential candidate in American history, is going to do his utmost to live up to his anti-gun promises if he's inaugurated in January. All right, now finally today, our, um, our armed citizen story. This is from Jacksonville, Arkansas. Not Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville, Arkansas. Police say a suspect in a string of robberies in Jacksonville was killed by a homeowner. Yeah, when the, uh, criminal... Finally picked the wrong house. Officers with the Jacksonville Police Department responded to reports of a robbery on Monday night. They discovered the body of a man matching the description of a robbery suspect from an earlier call. Dispatchers received that call just before 8 p.m. about an attempted robbery at the Jacksonville Stop and Shop. Two hours later, police say that same would-be robber tried to rob another victim outside of her home. Investigators say the suspect's third robbery attempt that same evening turned fatal when the man's intended victim shot the suspect in self-defense after the suspect shot at them. The identity of this uh, robber has not yet been released, described as a uh, black male, 19 to 24 years of age. Investigation is ongoing. The individual who uh, shot the robber not facing any charges because, again, they were acting in self-defense. And I'm very, very glad that that individual had a gun and was able to protect themselves. We'll bring you more information on this uh, as it becomes available, by the way. Uh, Now, coming up on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company, we're going to be talking with a newly elected member of Congress who's also the owner of a gun store. Yeah, how about that? Lauren Boebert, you know, out in Colorado, has been getting a lot of attention as maybe the most pro-Second Amendment uh, freshman in Congress. But Andrew Clyde of Georgia, who runs Clyde Armory, I don't know. I think she, I think he's going to give Lauren Boebert a run for her money as the uh, most pro-Second Amendment 
member of Congress, or at least among the freshman class of uh, uh, Congress folks there uh, when the uh, next session convenes in January. And we're going to have a, a great conversation with Andrew Clyde on tomorrow's Baron Arms Cam and Company, all about what made him decide he wanted to run for Congress, what he hopes to do in office, and what his concerns are about uh, Joe Biden's anti-gun agenda. So make sure you stick around. And Well, I mean, you don't have to stick around. That's going to be tomorrow. You can go out and do other stuff and you can come back. But make sure you come back tomorrow for the Friday edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. And don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. We are also available now on Rumble. So if you don't want to use the uh, YouTube, that's fine. You don't have to. You can get the show on Rumble as well. If you just like the audio version, you want to take us on the go, you don't want to be staring at the screen when you're driving down the road. Thank you for that, by the way. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Amazon now. Also, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all the rest. We certainly do appreciate your support. And we hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.